Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. Um, we're in Chapter 2, talking about functional programming. And in my previous episode, I was talking a little bit about um, functional programming from the, I mean, from the programmer's point of view, and the fact that uh, um, when we write functional code, there's, there's sort of technologies and kind of a culture of trying to write code that's really short, concise code. And I was talking a little bit about some of how we achieve that. Um, I'd like to say a little more about some of how that's achieved and also like to try to touch on why I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, it may seem sort of self-evident, but let's, let's talk about that in detail. Um, so, okay, so we talked about type inference. In a lot of uh, statically typed programming languages, you have to write down type annotations for your local variables and your input variables. And um, it's typical in functional programming languages to inf uh, statically typed functional programming languages to infer those types for you. And in fact, in Haskell and OCaml, you don't have to write down any types at all, at least unless you're if you're not using. Um, through the sort of core part of the language. There are parts of the language where type inference is provably possible in complete generality. And so, um, you know, you might be forced to write down some type annotations at some point. But, uh, but if you're working sort of in the core part of the language, you don't have to write down a thing. And this is really great. Now, sometimes you might elect to write down types as documentation. And this is also common practice in Haskell. It's really quite common to write down the, the signature, the type signature, um, for your function that you're writing, uh, even though Haskell could completely infer that for you. And there's various reasons for why you might want to write that down um, explicitly. Uh, I mean, documentation, I think, is, is um, probably the most important one. Um, uh, and, and actually, maybe the only one I'm really strongly uh, sure of. Um, and it's nice to see the types of things. It helps you get an abstract view. I mean, the types give you an abstract view of the behavior of the program. If the type says uh, it takes two in integers as input and returns an integer as output, then you've, it's conveyed some important information about the behavior of that function. Namely, that if you call it with two integers as inputs, then, and then this is a big then in, in uh, pure functional programming or functional programming with mutable state also, then it might diverge, or might there's some a few things that might happen that are unusual. But if it doesn't do any of those and it actually returns normally, it's definitely going to return an integer to you. It will not return to you a string or a list of lists of booleans or something. Um, so the, the type gives you an approximation to the behavior uh, of the function, and that's extremely useful. Anyhow, that's a little bit about digression from sort of how what are technologies that help us write short. Uh, pro functional programs. Another big one, uh, and it's it's you know it's kind of tailored to a specific domain, but a very important, useful domain it is, um, is that functional programming languages traditionally have good support for pattern matching um, on tree-like data. So, you know, languages like Haskell and Camel let you declare data types and. These are data types for essentially tree-like data. They're kind of they're some variants of trees. You might have they have a bunch of different constructors, maybe for building uh, different kinds of trees from subtrees. Um, 
and uh, and you can use them with some perhaps somewhat implicitly to build other structures like cyclic structures or directed acyclic graphs, DAGs, things like this. But um, the best model is that they're giving you tree-like uh, structures. And you say, well, that's nice. Trees are quite an important data structure in computer science, but there are lots of other ones. Why is that one such a big deal? Well, it's a pretty big deal because um, the natural way to model linguistic artifacts is with trees. The trees show you the structure of the, the linguistic artifact. So what's a linguistic artifact? Well, a program, for example, or uh, HTML, you know, a web page, or some, um, you know, I don't know, CSS if you're a web programmer or something. All these kind of structured um, textual artifacts, that, that the structured part is a tree-like structure. Um, generally, and that's what, uh, and so that's one of the things functional programming languages are very good at, is writing language processing tools, things that do stuff with um, linguistic artifacts. Compilers, for example, are, are very nice to write in these kind of languages, um, and, and many other tools that process linguistic artifacts of all different kinds of computer languages. It doesn't have to be a programming language, it can be some kind of web language or configuration files for something or whatever it is. Um, functional programming languages have very nice features for making it very convenient to build tree representations uh, of things and to, to take action, you know, based on, well, what kind of tree node is this? Like, say you were processing HTML, you're kind of, oh, is this a body element or a head element or whatever? Um, you can very, very conveniently and easily do a pattern matching on uh, some value representing some different kind of element, you know, some possibly different kinds of elements of HTML. And that pattern matching is, is very light to write and use. In contrast, when I was long ago, when I was in grad school and I was working on an automated theorem prover, actually as it happened, I was working on the first version of CVC, and CVC is a has gone great places from when I was working on it long ago, and is uh, um, you know quite an important um, automated theory proving tool. And anyway, but long ago, and it's, it's written in C plus plus, and um, I don't have any I don't have any reason to think that there's been any really great change in how one um, programs these kind of things in C plus plus. You you use the object system to build some kind of expression graph. And then you're going to have to dispatch on the kind of nodes in that expression graph, and it's it's pretty clunky. Um, you know, maybe you're switching on a tag, like some integer tag field in an object representing well, a node of the expression graph. I mean, it's it, it's conceptually basically exactly the same as what the functional programming language is letting you do, but the functional programming language makes it so much lighter and can, more convenient to do. It's just a few tiny little bit of syntax to do whereas certainly back in the day and, and as I said I think it's probably quite true that this is still the case um, I don't C++ hasn't added any features that would dramatically change the situation with this and I don't think coding style for example for CVC I, I don't know the current version of CVC I, is partly developed here at the University of Iowa uh, but I don't, it's not like I look over their code so I don't really know exactly 
how they, they set these things up. But I doubt that it's any different from, you know, if you want to see what kind of expression am I dealing with, I'm going to have to do, either have to do some dynamic dispatch through some method call, or I'm going to have to look at a tag and do a switch statement and decide what to do. These things are all, you know, big, chunky things to do, to, to write down in your, in your program. Um, and functional programming languages, you just say match or case on the, the, the variable or the expression that, the programming language expression that represents your um, linguistic artifact. And then you give some patterns. You say, oh, if it's this, if it matches this pattern, we have a constructor, some symbol, just a constant symbol in your language that represents um, this kind or that kind or the other kind of expression, let's say, that you're matching on. If it's this, if it's this, it has this constructor and these subtrees do this, it has this constructor and these other subtrees do that. Um, very light, very convenient. Uh, so functional programming languages are really well set up for language processing. Um, and they, and that's, and as an application, if you're going to write something in that processes language, you're going to, the functional programming language is going to whip the pants off of Java or C++ for writing that in a nice way. Now people still write language processing tools in Java and C++. Well, not Java, let's say. I mean, they do, but let's focus on the, the real case, which is C++. Because C and C++ um, programs generally um, can still give you performance that you do not usually get um, from functional programming languages, sadly, despite truly amazing engineering um, of their compilers and runtimes and all this kind of thing. There's some things that the functional language are trying to, is trying to do for you that C and C++ just doesn't do for you. And those things are, do have some runtime losses. I will continue this again uh, on another episode. Thank you for listening.